0: podcast has bad words.
1: (laughs) Every little thing
2: you think that you need, every little thing you think that you need, every little thing that's just feeding your greed, oh I bet that you'd be fine without it.
0: All right, so before we dive into our, our surprise questions today, well, if we get around to them, let's talk about the unstuckness of things. And uh, I have a uh, we're gonna read some more about less the the article that I have here today that I thought would be helpful. This is was good, man. It was a good pick from Psychology Today. They have so, they have, actually
1: have a lot of awesome articles on that website. The research that we've been doing for the book, uh-huh. a lot of the um, quotes that we're getting are little snippets like it's. There's a f- bunch of articles from Psychology Today that I've been looking at. It's it's a good website. I thought it was kind of like WebMD, oh, where it's yeah. just like geared towards advertising and you know, like just getting words out on the page. Uh-huh. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But well, yeah, yeah
0: I mean, the, it's the
1: th- a co- WebMD is a content creating thing.
0: I yeah. did an interview with Psychology Today once, and they they were surprisingly thorough with like the questions they and they asked like good questions. It wasn't like the I mean, what are some of the worst questions that you get in interviews? Bes- besides, <laughs> besides the one he just asked. Besides, what are some of the worst <laughs> questions you get in interviews? Because uh, you you go through this with uh, when you're doing, and and I, I imagine it's different with with sort of uh, musical organs where, where they're, they're, uh, they they ask. I mean, they're compelled to ask you. Know, so, what inspired your new yeah, album? That's sort probably of thing. You yeah.
3: Know, it's those kind of things where you just kind of have to like re. Uh, say the same thing over and over again. It's sure. always fun when somebody asks you totally random questions. And for me, like I'd rather be interviewed about like what I like to cook. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is probably not what people want to be hearing about. But it's <laughs> fun.
0: And it's <laughs> fascinating because also like what you want to cook. Mm- probably doesn't do your album justice right, no. and, and, but it's like here's what i'm guess what i'm also interested in things other than creating yeah. albums right. yeah. <laughs> uh, so so this article is called if you're feeling stuck this may be why and the subtitle is the hidden emotion that may be messing you up it's by uh john john amadeo many of us are quietly plagued by a nagging sense of being flawed or defective we secretly believe that we're a failure which stifles our energy, cramps our freedom, and prevents us from being ourselves. Toxic shame is a painful emotion. In fact, so painful that we may not even notice it. We steer our attention away from it, pretend it's not there, or transfer it to others, showering shame upon them through our criticisms and judgments. I am thought I think of two things here. One, this weekend, my wife and I were, were driving around uh, Bex, and... I noticed both of us were like being snarky, not toward each other, but toward sort of invisible passers-by, you mm-hmm. know, like judgmental. Yeah. Of like, oh, look at that person's shoes or whatever, right? Like, oh, they're so cool or whatever. Nice cargo shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 we, it, the only time Ryan and I have been- are draw- they your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were involved in a drive-by in Portland, Oregon. A, a drive-by insulting. Yes. We were in Portland. <laughs> it's 2011. We are just like walking. Ryan's wearing cargo shorts for some reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Cuz you can carry lots of things in the
1: pockets. <laughs> Minimalist. No, I, I, feel like <laughs>
3: Dude, I feel like cargo
1: shorts is kind of like a it's like the fanny pack of pants. Yep,
3: that's exactly what they are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which fanny packs are in style right
0: now by the way? <laughs> yeah, and so are cargo right shorts
3: now is the opera <laughs> right right, right.
0: It's, the, it's like this this three week period right yeah. Uh, and, so
1: yeah uh, we're walking down Portland and all and all of a sudden this girl like she's I hear a girl go hey and I look over and she's like you know all goth and she's like nice cargo shorts
0: <laughs> and just beat <feed> off <laughs> in and the just car drove off. and and so that uh, was
1: I've never felt so much
0: shame <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but really it was her who was feeling I think that's yeah. the point of this was like we cast our judgments upon other people because we feel a sense of uh, incompleteness, of in, of insecurity. Of well, in order for me to have the tallest building, there's two ways to do it. I yeah. can build mine up, but that's a lot of work. Or I could tear the others I'm down. Gonna tear yours down. It's much easier. Um, have you gone through any shame in yeah. in the creative process? Has, has, how's how's it manifest in the creative process?
3: Um, I think it manifests in um in just writing things and then crossing them out over and over again and then (laughs) overthinking everything and then thinking, oh yeah, this sounds really good. And then I do this thing where like, you know, I'll record it and then the next day I wake up and I always listen first thing after like sleeping, you know, on it. And then the next day I start completely second guessing everything, even if I like really love something. But I think that a lot of that has less to do with like what I've created and more to do with, sometimes I go through these moments where I'm constantly criticizing myself from someone else's point of view, which is so silly, cause I'm not in anyone else's mind. Uh-huh. So I'm like creating the dialogue for what someone else would say if they heard it uh-huh. and letting that impact my own music. Mm. And that's a really dangerous thing to do.
0: You're yeah. creating imaginary critics. Yes. And I think we do that in a way to sort of stave off the responsibility of like, well, yeah, this is my creation, right? Yeah. And and um, we're putting it out in someone else's hands, whether it's actual critics, or it's the imaginary critics, or it's just someone who you you didn't create the music for. I mean, there's there's a lot of people. Even the best selling albums in the world sell what? I mean, these days, the, yeah. um, two million copies. Yeah, yeah. If I mean, that,
2: those are good numbers. Right, 2 million yeah. is
0: amazing. Yeah. Right, I mean and if you sell 2 million copies you're not even reaching one percent of the u.s audience that means what's derek siver say um uh one of our favorite authors probably exclude yeah probably exclude 99 percent of people because you're creating for the one percent like this is the actual this is the good one percent here right. the one percent <laughs> that you're creating for yeah. and and finding that that Small sort of you know, group of people. Seth Godin might call it a tribe, mm-hmm. but like fine, true fans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Kevin Kelly thing with, with with true fans, and and sometimes you just sort of stumble upon those 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 fans by creating what has been meaningful to you. Yeah. Not meaningful to the imaginary critic.
3: And that's exactly it. Like I this I always say this over and over again. Like if I believe it, you'll believe it. So if it means something to me, then it will eventually probably connect to somebody else. And so my favorite records that I've released, like my favorite songs that I've written were true. And anytime I ever walk into a session, because I also write for other artists, anytime I ever walk into a session and I let myself go down the path of creating a scenario that I can't relate to, I never end up loving the song. Mm. Whereas like if it comes from something that feels completely authentic, in the end, it will end up connecting,
0: Yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, we we uh, do you know Canyon City Paul Johnson? He's no. a, a musician and actually he's in he lives Nashville. in Nashville. You don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. There's only
2: a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> Um He
0: he had like my favorite album of, of 2017. It's just really good singer songwriter music. But he moved to Nashville from Fargo, North Dakota. Oh, amazing! We brought him on the podcast. We actually brought him out on tour with us. He opened up uh, several of our shows. Uh, we did a Simply Southern tour last year, and uh, would he. Oh when he moved to Nashville he Moved there to pursue his dream of, of music but he didn't define, he didn't have a plan really, uh, mm. he didn't define what music was for him right. it was just uh, an A4, a- amorphous sort of I'm gonna do music here and what he ended up doing was writing a bunch of corporate jingles because you can do that yeah. especially in a town like Nashville
1: I assume that's like the vanilla flavor of music, <laughs> like yeah, writing corporate jingles.
3: Yeah, I mean I've done I've actually done it, like I've written music for commercials that have ended up, you know in like a JCPenney ad or like Pantene ad or whatever. Okay. Um, That's and, why your hair is so shiny. Yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but I, uh, those things are necessary, you know? I think yeah. just like with anything else. And, and they can be fun too, mm-hmm. again, if you stay authentic within that confine yeah. also.
1: Instead of writing what you think the corporation wants, like you can write something that, you feel good about, and if it connects with the corporation, great. Right, like if
3: I feel good about it at the end of the day, that's all I can ask for. And Mm. then at the end, like if I feel good about it and I'm like gonna send it out, then usually if I feel good about it, somebody else is like, oh, this is cool because I really meant it. And I can mean it when it comes to something like a Pantene commercial, if I take that context out and I'm like, okay, cool. These are the words they want me to focus on. I can write a song with words like this Mm -hmm. if I reframe it to my own experience.
0: Yeah. That's I think that reframing part is is really important. And I think that's where Paul got stuck is he was he felt like he was just doing this thing for other people instead of doing it based on his own experience or doing it for himself, doing something he would be happy with. Eventually he walked away from that and just got a job at Home Depot oh, wow. and started making the music he actually likes again. And now he makes a living from music once again. Mm because he's he's one of the best writers out there. He's just phenomenal, but it took sort of walking away from the thing he thought he had to do that was actually in a w- weird way. It was making him feel that, that sort of shame. Mm. Like, oh man, I guess I'm not passionate about music. No, it's just you're not passionate about creating music someone else is telling you to create but maybe maybe you can reframe it and create it from your own experience as well i think maybe that maybe that's important i'll I'll move on to the rest of this article here here are some hidden ways that shame often operates Uh, the first way uh, is being defensive i call this what about ism Mm. Uh, we see this especially in politics right where it's like someone's like uh trump lied about this and they're like but what about hillary's emails yeah. <laughs> and it's like well wait a minute like yeah. both things can be wrong and it does just because someone else is wrong doesn't make you more right it you're still as wrong as you were whether or not the other person was was right or wrong and i think when we're, we're fighting that inner critic in a way they're they're constantly saying what about what about like uh, what are people going to think about this? Or or, what about that song that you did that has a million views or, or whatever? How do we write part two of, of that?
1: I think too when we put like our creative works out there, you know there are little babies, so like you know we, we want to defend our babies, uh-huh. and it's uh yeah it's very easy to get caught in the defensive thinking. I know like, you know if I get a troll on Twitter you don't have a very minimalist amount of followers. It's like, I want to be like, no, that's not what it's about. And then I'm, but now I can, you know, I can get through it and push through it without having to defend myself. I'm so glad I'm not the only one that feels shame, man. Like after reading this article, I'm like, oh, like it's okay for me to feel shame. It's not about, because usually when I feel shame, I start to get down on myself. Like, why do I feel this way? Like I'm such a weirdo or I'm, you know, I'm different or whatever it is. And after reading this article, it's like, it's not about, not feeling shame. It's about how you deal with that shame and how how you kind of push through it.
0: Yeah, so back to the being defensive part. He said, uh, defensiveness is a way to protect ourselves from unpleasant feelings. Shame is often an emotion that we don't allow ourselves to experience because it can be so debilitating. If our partner is upset because we're late for dinner, we might react by saying, Well, you were late for the movie yesterday because you took so long to get ready. Being defensive is a way to avoid taking responsibility for our behavior. And I think that's 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 often true, where like I if my knee jerk reaction is to be defensive about something, then maybe I'm I've put up a wall around a not so strong yeah. idea. Or, or value. Yeah, even. being
1: defensive is like a symptom of something
0: much larger, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think it's important to also delineate between shame and guilt here. Guilt says something about your actions. Shame says something about who you are. So shame is a much more powerful emotion. When we feel shame, of course, we're going to start getting defensive, right? Because yeah. feeling, getting defensive is the way that I'm going to protect the the status quo. I think one way that I combat that now with the defensiveness is I'll say, oh, you're right. If someone has some sort of criticism, Mm -hmm. you're right. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to change my mind, but yeah, you're right. I realize maybe this wasn't for you. Yeah. Um, Or sometimes I'll say, "Good point. I didn't think of that perspective." Yeah. That does two things. One is it says, "Look, I'm I'm not trying to be your guru." Uh, I'm an authority on a few things that I uh, I, You're I know my about. Guru, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I I I know I have some wisdom about some things. But I'm also curious, and I'm open to to learn more. And I think with with the creative process, like curiosity is is often what spear what 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 spearheads or or breeds creativity for us. And, and we stop being curious, and we we close ourselves off to those other sort of opinions. Man, we stopped growing personally and and also creatively. Yeah. Let's uh, keep going here. Perfectionism is the next uh, topic. So um, this was me for a long time. Perfectionism. like I spent most of my 20s, well, unbeknownst to me, writing pretty bad fiction. and, (laughs) And I thought it was good fiction, but I also became a perfectionist so like even as the things got better like it was never good enough for me of course good enough isn't good enough but ideal should be good enough Mm -hmm. something is going to be ideal no song you ever record will probably be perfect to you yeah but you'll have moments of like this is the absolute best i could do given the resources i have the time the attention the writing and i feel really great i can look myself in the mirror and say I'm proud of this. Yeah. I'm sure there are moments like that, but there are also moments where where perfection sort of stifles the creativity.
3: Yeah. I think that's usually that happens in songwriting and in recording uh, vocals. Mm. I think those are like the two places I probably um, hit that wall the most. You know, with lyrics, I am, I can often like hit myself, like hit my head against a wall in the sense that like, I can try to pick away at a lyric for hours and hours on end. And, and sometimes, actually almost hundred percent of the time, the simplest lyric will end up being the answer. Not like the most poetic, not the most like, you know, mind blowing, but just like, oh, right. Okay, that was the thing. And it was like literally the most relatable, most simple two words that I didn't even mm-hmm. think of. That happens to me almost all the time. And with vocals, it's the same thing. Like you could sit there and you could record uh, the song over and over and over again. And if I were to record my own vocals, that's probably what I would do. I Mm -hmm. would probably um, kill all of the emotion because I would just be like, that doesn't sound perfect enough. And I would just record myself over and over again. But luckily the first producer I ever worked with Marshall Altman on my first album, he kind of set the standard of how I now record vocals and always have, which is he was like, you get five takes. And that's it. Is, Limitations for
0: creativity. Exactly. Now sometimes is and if you do all five takes do you sometimes use the first take?
3: Yeah so often Uh it will be or you know like you know like you will have caught one take and you're like that was really amazing we can see what what else happens but that's probably the one we'll refer to Mm. and yeah so i i usually do like five full takes and then what you do is you kind of pick the best parts and if there's anything at the end of that where you're like there's just this one word then you we say punch you punch it in right um but that's it. I like, exactly, you like limit yourself. Because the truth is, like, I could sing it a hundred times. But if I do that, I'm going to lose the emotion of it eventually. Uh, yeah,
0: so, and I think that that's a, that's a beautiful sort of pithy answer is perfection uh, has no emotion. Perfection, perfectionism mm-hmm. contains no emotion, right? It, no
3: character. Yeah. You're not going to get character if you're, like, being a perfectionist about it.
0: You know what's, yeah. what was absolutely pristine and a sane asylum, right? Like, and and you can't even touch anything because you're in a straight jacket, <laughs> and I think like that's if, if that's a, like a dystopian perfection in a way. Yeah. Uh, but that's in a weird way like what we're going to. I'm I'm going to record a hundred vocals, so this is pristine. Yeah. Mm. But then I've lost everything that I found to be meaningful in the first place. Yeah. Uh, The next one is apologizing. This is one I think I struggle with this one a lot,
1: dude. I growing up, uh, it's funny because after reading this, I was like, "Oh, that's why." The first words out of my mouth most of the time: "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry." Yeah, it's because of like all this, you know, shame that I had growing up. It's like that is my that was my go to. My my oma, my grandmother, uh, she called me out on it when I was was like 17 or 18. She's like, "Why do you always say you're sorry?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm
0: sorry."
3: My mom recently said that to me. You apologize too much. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: so, so, and is it for everything or is it for anything in particular?
3: I, you know what? I hadn't even noticed till she pointed it out. Uh, so, it's something I'm only recently becoming kind of like aware of.
0: I, um, I've had a lot of health problems over the last six months or so. And uh, I've, my wife is is incredibly supportive of it and like super understanding. She's also a dietitian, So, she understands a lot of things that I'm going through and in, in going through this i've been talking to a a therapist uh, because i felt depressed for the first time in my in my life like just uh, i've had a bunch of gut issues and so uh, one thing that he talked about is like uh, i'm afraid of beating people up with my burden so i i apologize to sort of i don't know add some sugar coating to then all of a sudden like burdening them but but sometimes you know the people who care about you most they want to help you out with your burdens they don't want all of your burdens right but they want to help you lift the load while they can and so one thing the therapist and I've been discussing is there needs to be sort of an apology event <laughs> that happens where you're like hey look i know you understand what i'm going through and and i just want to apologize for making you carry more weight than than you should right now i just don't have the capacity to carry the weight right now and i want to thank you for understanding and i appreciate you but this is the last time i'm going to apologize for my my health issues and i had to have this conversation with Bex last week and um, she was really actually she was grateful she actually felt like i removed a burden from her because my constant apologizing was was a way that m- made her feel like, well, wow, maybe I shouldn't, maybe he doesn't want help, but mm-hmm. let her know that, no, I, I'm giving you permission to help me mm. right? when I actually need help. I'm not going to ask for help if I don't need help, but I'm giving you permission to help. And I think that was freeing for her in a way. Instead of constantly apologizing, giving the people we care about permission to help us, man, that's hard because we want autonomy, right? We, we want to be in charge. We want control and it's hard to give up some of that control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next one is so we get past perfectionism and apologizing. It's procrastination. We'll talk about this one later. <laughs> 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 Number five. <laughs> All right. I, I, the The procrastination thing is... Uh, again, it's an it's an excuse with the, the... It's simply saying this is not a priority for me or I haven't decided to make this a priority yet. I think as human beings, we often decide to go for something more passive uh, because the writing is hard. What are things that you like to pacify yourself with?
3: This is a great question <laughs> for me.
0: <laughs> Instead of like, uh, I know I should... Well, recordings a bit different because you probably have to book the studio time and, like, so you have to be there for certain yeah. times. But for writing, you're like, oh, I can get to it t- this afternoon.
3: Honestly, I don't really procrastinate when it comes to that. And I think that um, the things I do procrastinate with, and I've gotten a lot better about them, but i I have come to realize that the things that I procrastinate the most with are the things that stress me out the most, and that's probably common for everybody. Yeah. But, um, for instance, you know, like, my accountant hates me anytime I have to do taxes because I procrastinate on that stuff, which I think a lot of people do. And that's because, for instance, I suck at math and numbers overwhelm me, mm-hmm. right? That was like never my strength in school. So, anytime I have to sit down to like do anything that comes to like accounting or balancing or looking at receipts or, you know, things like that it like immediately gives me anxiety. And, right. I, and I look at it and it's it's like a foreign language. I just, I sit down and I'm like, cool, I should look at Instagram, you know? Or yeah. like whatever it is. Like, oh I, oh, I have this email I haven't replied to, or uh-huh. like 17, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go and clean my closet out right. uh, and, you know, and do something else in the house. Ha- no, but it's cool, because I'm cleaning my house, which needed to be done anyway. Right. So I am doing something productive. Yeah. But like in doing that, I've like, continued to like exacerbate this other problem but it i only ever procrastinate i think when it's something that like completely overwhelms me and that's like that's something i'm currently actually working on
0: well it's it's something that i struggle with i don't have a to-do list but i have a today list so like here are the things that that i'm (laughs) going to do today yeah but i've realized even then i'll so i'll i'll put things in front that i that are have less friction, right? So it's like, yeah, th- there's that email I didn't respond to. Of course I don't have to respond to that email this morning yeah. before I I work. So I had this thing that was staying on my today list for several days, which sort of defeats the purpose of a today list. <laughs> I had a double charge on my debit card from Netflix. They were billing me, you know, 13.99 on the 5th and on the 22nd. I'm like, am I paying for this twice a month? What is going on? Why is this happening? And so it was on my list, like deal with double charge from Netflix and eventually there was one day where I'm like, I was in between, I had several phone calls scheduled and I had a half hour in between. I'm like, I'm just gonna deal with this. And it's been on my list stressing me out for probably six days now. And I just called the phone number of Netflix. They picked up almost immediately. (laughs) Within six minutes, they fixed the problem. They credited me back in 6 minutes i could have taken all that stress off of my plate and the same is definitely true with taxes uh, for me too yeah. Yeah. yeah where it's like i could have spent a four, another 4 hour period here and just sent everything i need to to the accountant and now it's off my plate if i want to get rid of the stress the only way to get rid of the stress is to stop procrastinating Procrast- procrastinating just makes it more stressful yeah. putting it off doesn't in the moment it sort of gives you that you know, i'm going to go to instagram and get that that blip of dopamine that doesn't last for more than three seconds but then it's gone and the stress is there but now it's been increased a little bit more each time
1: yeah Yeah. man this article was great josh thanks for picking it out man it's funny though i look at you know being defensive perfectionism apologizing procrastination it's stuff that i still work on but like being able to understand it a little bit better helps me to kind of push through it i guess
0: i think maybe naming it in a way too we're, we're naming we're talking about shame right and saying okay i feel ashamed okay that's actually a useful emotion why do i feel this way yeah. if we start asking why then we start getting better answers as opposed to saying oh, i'm just a failure and life sucks and the book didn't sell as many copies the first week as I wanted it to, and so now that means that I, I've... I i can not be happy. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to give myself permission to be happy. Yeah. I think we need to start asking why, and, and I like the subtitle of this article because it's the hidden emotion. I, all of these lead to a bunch of hidden emotions, emotions that we hide and bring them to the forefront, unhiding the emotions, mm-hmm. helps get us unstuck yeah. in a way. Absolutely. Let's see what else we have. I had some other topics that... Um, uh, with respect to to being stuck, you talked about taking time to breathe between projects. In that interview that I read with you, and when, when you talked about feeling stuck, and and I think that changed the sort of direction of your music in a way mm-hmm. from being more I don't know, folky to more poppy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though those labels are, you know, they don't fully encompass what your music is, I don't think, but but uh, moving in that, that direction a little bit, was that because of the time or was, were there other reasons?
3: I mean, there was a combination of reasons. I think, first of all, creatively, if you're not trying different things, then, you know, it's, it's like that. It, there's this quote. I don't know who said it, but um, like the most dangerous words in the English language are, we've always done it this way,
0: Ah, right? mm, Um, Bureaucracies uh, are built on that. Yeah, Yeah.
3: and that's, I think it's the same with creativity. Like I could go and I could like, you know, write a bunch of songs and on my guitar and record the record, but it just wasn't, I was feeling stale. I was feeling bored with myself, Hmm. you know, from like, Just cyclically, I was like, okay, I write a record, I record a record, I go on tour, I keep writing, I record a record, I go on tour, um, you know, or I'm taking these like writing trips and also writing for other people. And I was just like doing the same thing over and over again. One thing was I hadn't really traveled for fun, Mm. like because I'd been working in restaurants, um, you know, probably from the age of like 17 until I started earning a living making music and then, you know, you have to strike while the iron's hot. So you can never kind of like do that. So I never did like the backpacking thing or like any of that stuff. I Um, I didn't go to college. So, you know, I just, I feel like I just never had that like moment. Um, And so, yeah, doing something like that uh, changes your perspective, but it will also affect the way you make music because every experience leads to a different type of record
0: yeah i'm thinking about uh jonathan franzen's book freedom it, he took he wrote the corrections i think it came out like 2000 2001 wildly popular and then he took the next eight or nine years he said to write the book it took one year to write the book but eight years to live his life so he would be able to write the book in right. a year as opposed to recreating your first album over and over now there are some people who can do that and and, and do it well and, and that maybe is appropriate for them they really enjoy just making the same 12 songs over and over and over but i think most of us enjoy growing and and the sort of the nuances of, of actually living your life whether it's traveling or just involving yourself in new experience those those nuances create the foundation upon which the next thing is going to be built yeah yeah you bought a house recently.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell us about the joys of
1: homeownership.
3: Oh my god, it sucks.
1: <laughs>
3: Literally, I just don't even know why people do it. I mean I on one Wait, why'd you do it? Uh you know Wait, so it's, you, you,
0: you grew up in apartments and so like you didn't you also weren't sold this uh template from your parents necessarily no,
3: never i mean uh, w- I n- we never owned a home growing up we uh-huh. always rented i always lived in an apartment was happy living in an apartment grew up sharing a room with my sister uh you know lived with roommates partner you know in new york like all of that um so it's not like i was used to like having so much space um or any of that or like told that like you know. You grow up. My mom's an artist as well, and um, my dad was a creative person. Let's say with his life, but like, um, so you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like I was raised to be like, okay, you you know, you grow up, you go to school, you get a job, you buy a house, you you know, get the picket fence. None of that. But I think because I didn't have that. I was like, oh, well, I want that experience. And oh, also, yeah. you know, buying a house is a good investment. It's like a smart thing to do. Especially and, in Nashville, like, right. that's a great, yeah. And that's the thing is like, you know, I'd been going to Nashville for like, at the time I'd been going to Nashville for like eight or nine years writing. I have a community of friends there. Um, it was I should have probably bought a long time ago investment wise, mm. but I still found like a really great house in a great neighborhood that's developing. And, you know, I was like, okay, this would be a smart thing to do. But I didn't realize the anxiety that it comes with. Yeah. And it took like a minute to really settle in. By a minute, I mean like a year of like, you know, I was saying to you before, like you go from an apartment in New York. I went from a one-bedroom apartment in New York and you move that stuff into a house and you're like, I have nothing. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and we're uncomfortable. We we get really uncomfortable in these empty spaces. Mm. The thing we were talking about before the podcast, you go into a museum and the thing that makes them so beautiful is the fact that they contain almost nothing but only the the significant objects yeah Yeah. the the phrase of spark joy that that, uh, the Marie Kondo would use or or what Ryan and I would say is does it serve a purpose or bring you joy so yeah I sort of look at some some objects I own that they're useful right mm. uh, a glass right but i also want it to be beautiful yeah this uh, is a beautiful glass <laughs> and, and, and so i i because I, I get more joy from the sort of aesthetic pleasures of that as well i think you can right. combine the two things the problem we we buy a new home especially um a home with a lot of space you know yeah. two thousand plus square feet is we feel compelled yeah to fill every square inch yeah. mm. we not only do we need a dining room table but we need a breakfast nook yeah yeah and you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, and, and the problem is, there, there's nothing wrong with those those things. The thing I talked about in Everything That Remains, that for, you might remember the scene in the documentary where I'm in out in the salt flats in Utah reading from the book, and it's sort of like. This like okay, but do I need an espresso maker? Do I need the uh,
3: that really rang true to me? Like when you were <laughs> when you were doing that, because I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about.
0: Well, and especially the, the time of my life I was going through. I was my my mom died. My marriage ended. And the line in the book is, even even while Rome is burning, there's still time for shopping at Ikea. That's a good pacifier. Oh, my God. It was definitely... <laughs> yeah. The death of all relationships happens
2: there.
0: Have you seen some of those articles? Like, I think there's a blog of of, of couples fighting at Ikea. I have where...
3: been one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
0: you remember when you and uh, your ex,
1: Carrie, when you bought all this stuff from Ikea
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you were like, I can't put this together. I had tried to put some of it together. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and put all this together. So you paid... Some, it was like a handyman to come and put stuff yeah. together. And he just like. <laughs>
0: walked out in Half the middle of, of building our bed he, he just walked out. out he was like fuck this I'm done I'm leaving
3: well I think Ikea actually bought TaskRabbit or something like that this and now they have like speci- specialists oh. that come and do this which I'm like thank you because like many years ago I could have used this within like yeah. my own relationship <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so it's yeah it's the fights that happen in Ikea and then at home when you're like putting the shit together and, that's not what it says it, yeah and, <laughs> why and why do I have these and, all different pieces there's, oh. not, there's not even words on it it's just a confusion man trying to put the pieces together, which is like a beautiful metaphor for yeah something.
3: And then you always end up with ten pieces yeah. that you're like, where were these Uh-oh. supposed yeah. to go?
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, and and you just end up like, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll put them in a drawer somewhere. I don't. So so you fought in, in IKEA before? Oh my god! Over what? Yes.
3: Uh, just like. <laughs> It, this was years ago, like years ago. First time I was ever moving in with anybody. Uh-huh. And we, for, which is in itself really, really scary, right? Yeah. I was like 23 years old, 24 years old. We were but we were the same age. We're moving into this apartment, uh-huh. and you know, on one hand, we were like so lucky because we found a rent-controlled apartment in New York, which is like such a steal, right? We got a two-bedroom for ten fifty a month. Wow, that yeah, is a steal, yeah, which was amazing. Yeah. So that took a lot of pressure off of us financially, but at the same time, we didn't have a stitch of furniture. I'd been living on a futon on the floor for years in New York, totally happily, you know, waiting tables not needing anything and not willing to spend my money on furniture because I just never knew where I was going to go next. Mm -hmm. And so this was the first time that I was like, oh, so this is like the adult thing where like we have to move into a place and now wait, I don't have a plate to, like, put my food on, uh-huh. you know, and so... I have to
0: do the adult things.
3: Yes. It's like this
1: meme that we buy into of, like, this yes. is what it means to be an adult, so, yeah, this, how other, this is how other people yeah. adult, so this is how I should adult. Exactly. Yeah. And
3: so we, like, went to Ikea, but the problem was we went to Ikea on an empty stomach. Oh, so, like, no. that was really just the worst part oh. about it was that, like, we went to Ikea, and I was like, okay, so... You know we we had a list we had made a list of like the things that we needed that we felt were like probably the most necessary like cups forks knives you know things like that
0: yeah. right. um no wait you weren't making this list in the parking lot or no, no 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 okay. we
3: we actually sat down and made the list at home Good. but we went to ikea and as you know you go through this maze and they they really like put set it all out for you the with maze of
0: consumption yes
3: exactly we were in the kitchen section which i love to cook so like you know for me I What do you like-, like to cook? I, I like to cook. I I love to cook everything. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> one day I'm gonna start a cooking blog. No, I'm just
0: kidding. Um, you're always welcome to come back on the podcast. We'll like share recipes yeah, or something. Like that.
3: I would love if, to. If do you that. have something awesome, we'll like yeah. take pictures
0: and share just, it. Mariah and I
1: just bought a, uh, a sous vide. Oh sous vide. Yeah sous vide one. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Game changer.
3: Yes they are. Uh, I have yeah. one of those. All right, so you were in IKEA. <laughs> yeah, so we're in IKEA <laughs> you and have your list. Uh, we have we have our list and I will never forget. I'm like looking at wine glasses. You know, they're like 50 cents each. It's not even a big purchase. Uh And I'm like, which one do you like better, this one or this one? And he's looking at something that we actually – Needed way more, which is cabinets, because this kitchen that we got in this apartment—it was a rent-controlled apartment—and the one thing that was a little weird about it, and they were like, "If you purchase it, we will refund you," which was nice. Was the kitchen only had an oven and a fridge? It had no counters, no cabinets, because whoever lived there beforehand ripped it all out and took it with them. Oh my goodness! <laughs> only in New York, that, you know, yeah, that's, like
1: that's wow, that's crazy.
3: So we had to purchase count uh, cabinets <laughs> and countertops and install them. And then the building would pay us back. Oh, okay. Right?
1: Okay. Seems like a fair enough deal.
3: Fair enough deal. But so, like, he's doing the important thing, which mm-hmm. is like, we need a place to, like, cook. On. We need, like, a countertop, right? And, and, you're and like, like yeah.
0: Hey, but what about the fucking wine yeah, glasses? Yeah. And I'm like,
3: what about these wine glasses, though? Like, do you like the ones with the stems or do you like the stemless one? And he's like, I don't fucking care. Like, just you pick. And so, like, that's, you know, and, and, like, now, you know, I just, I would make that decision. Like, you know, that's, it's, it's so, it's such a small, stupid decision to make. But at the time I was like, we have to decide everything together because I've never lived with anybody before. And yeah. I don't know anything about that whole situation. And I get hangry. And so like, I hadn't eaten and he hadn't eaten. And it basically, we just blew, it blew up into a fight of like, why are we even doing this? And should we break, you know? Oh, and basically no. we just left. IKEA without purchasing anything. I've done this. We drove to like I don't even know what it was. It was like a Fridays or some crap like that. Though, because you know we were out in the middle of nowhere, New Jersey, Mm. and we just went to like a you know a place to sit down, Applebee's, whatever. We sat down, we ate, and then we just looked at each other. We're like. Who was that back there? We were like, I'm so sorry. Uh, And then we, you know, (laughs) yeah. And then we went back. We were like, okay. And after that, we were just like, never again. We bring snacks with us next time, or we go to the cafe first, or we eat something, or whatever it is. We're never going to let ourselves be those people again.
0: You know, like (laughs) that's a beautiful lesson, though. Like, I'm not going to let myself. I'm not gonna let me be the worst version of myself. Yeah. And and because it, it negatively affects the people we care about most, yeah. usually, because it's uh Matt Nathanson, do you know Matt Nathanson? Yes. He has a great line. Um he said, I would kill anyone who treats you as bad as I do. <laughs> a- and like that is a perfect encapsulation of what you're talking about there. Yeah. Like, can you uh, can you imagine if someone else would have been in the IKEA treating him the way you were? Like, oh my you would have been like, "Why are you treating him like this?"
3: Yes, totally. I, I would hate myself from the outside, right? And that's where shame starts, honestly, because <laughs> yeah. you yeah. think back on that stuff and you're just like, "How could I be such an asshole?" Yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And then you, I think that like probably turns into just. Doing even more of
0: it, but like. And and so, when you lived in uh, apartments, or like even you you were uh, waitressing and and lived on a futon, essentially, yeah, uh, you were you felt complete in an empty space.
3: Oh my gosh, yeah.
0: However, there's this paradox: like we get the big space and then feel compelled to fill it with stuff. It's why is it harder for us to feel complete in a big empty space?
1: I feel like it's the paradox of choice, like going to IKEA. It's like you have so many choices. Yeah. And before you even have the list, like sitting in a 2,000 square foot home that's empty, like putting the list, even putting that list together can, can be stressful. Like just figuring out, like, do we actually need this? Do we actually need that? Yeah.
0: It's a. Uh, and we we think, again, it's that template of like, I thought throw pillows were called throat pillows. And so, <laughs> I got, I, what the hell am I gonna use a throw pillow for, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so, like, just. Uh, but i i guess i need that right because other people have it that's and if other people have it then of course it will do something for me Mm -hmm. without actually asking the question does this serve a purpose does it bring me joy Mm -hmm. is this going to add value to my life truly and look at it objectively we can justify anything like yeah yeah. of course i need the long runner for the entryway or i need Mm -hmm. this particular coat rack or, or whatever but Will it really add value to my life? And I have to be honest about that. And then I think there's some other important questions to ask too. Like when we're we're sort of populating our new home with stuff, is you know, can I afford this thing? Like, and then is this the best use of that money mm. for me to buy this you know six hundred dollar vase? Or can I do something better with that six hundred dollars? Now, before we started talking, uh, recording at least, Rosie, you talked about having artwork is one thing that really brings you joy. And and, mm-hmm. and for a while you just had sort of stark blank walls and you realize like, oh no, like some artwork would would, would make me happier.
3: Yeah, yeah, because I, I think that's the thing is like, you know, well, you just touched on something which is like, well, other people have throw pillows. I think that is something that I also got caught up in mm-hmm. because having a house, like I have so many friends in Nashville who have beautiful homes mm-hmm. and you walk into their home and they're beautifully furnished and they have all these things that they've spent like years collecting because those are things that matter to them and you look at their shelves and you're like oh all these like cool little like you know artifacts from their life that they've kind of collected and this makes the house just like all come together and you're like i want that right because you and i
0: want it now right and
3: that's the thing is like you know you don't you you don't stop to think like, well, first of all, this is stuff that they've collected throughout the years of their life. They've owned a home a lot longer than I have because I've always come from this like smaller space. So suddenly like it put, I put this like pressure on myself of like, oh, okay, well I I have a house. So now like I need to make it look like like a house, like everybody else's house, right? right? Isn't that like Mm. what you do? Uh you know and um and like i was saying to you i think when when that switched for me was realizing like when i went and spent time with my friends in spain who really lived a complete minimalist life for like a year uh-huh. and realizing oh wait i've just like been putting all this unnecessary pressure on myself so like my bedroom um gave away the dresser that was completely unnecessary was just like a bed and a chair and i was not happy in that space and i couldn't figure out i was like do <laughs> I've bought a throw pillow for the chair, (laughs) actually, like a couple months ago. And I was like, okay, like that's making it feel more like whatever. But I realized once I bought a piece of art and I put it up on the wall, that was the thing that like made Mm -hmm. the big difference for me. And I was like, okay, nothing else is actually really necessary in here. I don't feel like I need anything else in here now. Like even though there's this huge wall that has nothing up against it now that the dresser isn't there, for like the longest time, I would lay in bed and stare at that wall and be like, Do I need to put a piano there? Like, should I get a piano? I almost bought a piano. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, it would, it would serve a purpose anyway because i would be able to play right but i but it was really like i need to fill this wall i need to fill this wall because it's just like this big awkward empty wall now that the dresser isn't there but like maybe it wouldn't have felt that way if the dresser had never been there in the first place Mm. Mm.
0: and and the thing is what is appropriate for you as well right and so for you the the artwork was appropriate yeah and maybe five pieces of artwork would be appropriate for someone else but for you, zero pieces of artwork is inappropriate. Right. Also, five hundred pieces of artwork would be inappropriate. Yes. And and I think that's where we get caught up. you go to someone else's house and they have like all the uh, the perfect knickknacks or whatever. Mm-hmm. The thing is, they're also going through the same insecurities, just like you and I are. They're, yeah. They're thinking like, well, what's the next thing that's going to you know complete the space or whatever. Uh, whereas, I like to think of my space as. I'm complete within it and then I fill fill it with things that augment my experience of life, that sort of enhance or improve my experience of life. Because yes, having a bed is better than not having a bed. Mm and uh ha- having been on we ryan and i we toured like musicians people often think we're in a band because <laughs> we wear black and ryan has great hair um and uh, so so like we would go sleep on you know uh, people's floors and yeah. stuff and so yeah. i i've realized that yes i there are things like having a bed that adds value to my life or, or having a couch or for you having a piano may have been something that would have added value to your life if i put a piano in the corner of my room i don't play piano Right. it would look nice but it would just be that it would be a uh, a non-functional piece of artwork, yeah. in a way. So I think it's asking that question: what is appropriate, but also realizing the things that are appropriate now are different from what used to be appropriate. Yeah. What was appropriate when you were 23 and and going to IKEA? We don't need to hold on to those same things either if they stop serving a purpose. And that's mm-hmm. one of the hard things too, where it's like, well, I brought this into my life. Should I actually let it go? And and so constantly asking that question. Do the things I own add value to my life? Also, the things I'm bringing in, being careful about, about those as well, because it's true, some of those things can actually make our life better. And I think that's the, the paradox of, of minimalism, in a way, is like, I get far more value from the few items I own than if they were watered down by hundreds of thousands of useless trinkets that someone else thought I should have.
3: Yeah, yeah. You, this one thing in the documentary that really um, stuck with me, because I also rewatched it, um, just a few days ago was that somebody said um, that like instead of fitting the space around your life, you fit around the space. And like, that's like the, that's the mistake, the common mistake people make. And that's totally, that was totally it for me, you know? Because in New York, you really, you I think you just make the space work for you, mm-hmm. you know, because you are so limited on space. But What's when that
0: limit limitations thing can be really yeah it, limitations uh, empowering it
3: is. But then, like when I moved into a house, it was like I had to fit the house instead of the house fitting me. Yeah. And so when when I reheard that, I was like, oh yeah, like totally.
0: Because I, I don't know if that was Frank, we, we the, the yeah, minimalist was, architect. Yeah, okay. Frank. The the thing that I don't think this part made the documentary, but he talked he builds houses for people, but he never asked them like what do, do you, you want a second dining room yeah mm. do you Do you? of course they're gonna say yes do you want a three car garage right. yeah of course oh, yeah. I, I have a car but why not a three car garage that's I better than, than two stuff. Right. Right, right. I'm gonna have to uh, uh, my house had a when, when I had a big suburban house back in Dayton Ohio uh, when I was in the corporate world I had a two and a half car garage. I don't even know what the fuck that means, right? <laughs> yeah. Two and a half cars? No, it just means, oh, you're going to put a lot of stuff in, in that part and you can still cram your two, two cars in here. Yeah. But the thing that Frank talked about is like, I want to build the space, yeah, around, around your life as opposed to trying to cram a life, mm-hmm. usually someone else's life, someone else's idea of a life into this, this space. Yeah, when and, I was home shopping, it's, uh, when I, I bought a
1: condo, I don't know 25 26 years old it was like a year or two after the crash I just wanted to get a home because I was renting and I, oh, I'm stupid to rent I should buy and put money towards something and it's like I ended up buying something because it was like the most bang for my buck and it was yeah it's the worst decision like I was really excited that it had two living rooms I'm like oh man two living rooms like this is great but like it was then i felt the same way you did when you get into the big empty house you're like oh shit like now i got to fill up <laughs> these living rooms. I had a nice spiral staircase went to this bedroom and i mean it was it was awesome if i had a huge family to yeah. fill the space with yeah. but for me
0: by myself it was uh yeah it was a nightmare what a metaphor the spiral staircase <laughs> that goes to the single man's third bedroom <laughs> right uh yeah that's that, but that's that that's someone else's template. And mm-hmm. like you're right. That space is actually more appropriate for the family you ended up renting it to when when you moved away from right. Ohio. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna rent this to someone who will get value from the crazy, you know, twenty five hundred square feet or whatever it was. Yeah. But you were just there by yourself, it was it was inappropriate it was it was too much that's Absolutely. a really
3: big condo <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it was like two thousand square foot
0: wow. yeah it was it was big um should we answer some questions yeah i i heard this quote that i wanted to at least talk about uh dean nielsen who writes for the new york times said creators are obligated to bear witness to the universe and i don't know what that means exactly <laughs> I don't <but> me either but <laughs> damn that sounds profound sounds great and, and I think maybe what it means is like when, when we're creating something, whether it's creating a podcast together, we're creating a book, you're creating songs, part of what makes it valuable is being able to pause and have an observation. And the mm. friends and thing, we're stopping and I'm gonna take eight years to just observe the world, to bear witness to the universe, mm. so the next thing I do is meaningful. When you were writing, uh, collecting bullets, the thing I, I heard you say is like, you felt like you were, in a way, collecting bullets, like mm-hmm. to put in the chamber to to, to, uh, to load the, the gun, to make the album, yeah. so, so to speak. But it was through experience that you, you, were, you were bearing witness to the universe in a way. That's a, a way.
3: great quote. Um, the way I just heard you say that is that I, and I think that most creative people are probably like that. Um, is that I feel like creative people uh, are a little bit like a mag- magnifying glass, or at least I feel this way, mm-hmm. where um, I feel like I see so much more than maybe a lot of people do. And sometimes that feels like a burden, yeah. like in the sense of, you know, I don't know, when I'm talking to somebody about like their feelings, songwriting, for instance, can kind of be like, um, Psychology. I don't know. (laughs) When you like sit down in a room and you're writing and you're breaking down your feelings and suddenly you're like, oh, this was a therapy session, right? Um, Like that's how writing feels. It can feel like cathartic. But I think sometimes that feels like a burden, just being constantly aware of everything that's happening all the time. um, And I think to myself, like, I wish I was like maybe a little bit more oblivious so I wasn't like thinking about things constantly.
1: (laughs) That's so funny. You know? I I wear contacts and like when i am walking down the street like i can you know i can see people's facial expressions and i'm constantly like picking up on stuff mm-hmm. but like when i don't have my glasses on or contacts I, it's really nice to have blurred vision sometimes
3: yeah same <laughs> I, I i wear them too it's like, it's a it's exactly like that when yeah. you put your contact lenses and you're like i can see everything but i feel like that's what it feels like all the time like mm. talking to people or just like taking the world in um yeah, and then that turns into obviously that turns into songs, and so I'm so grateful for that. But on the other end, sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't, I didn't like notice everything all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like a I, gift, Anna Cruz. I like, yeah. it,
0: I like the that she finished it with. With I'm grateful for that. Like being yeah. grateful for our some of our burdens. Yeah. is that, that's a superpower in a way because sometimes we can let a, a burden of like, yeah, what you're doing is you taking the five hundred thousand discrete bits of information. And you're distilling it down to the that'd make a great line, and and but it requires a lot of panning for gold. And in that panning for gold, there's a lot of sediment until you get to that to that gold. But but that's what's meaningful is the is is when you find that gold, you, you find that that lyric or that melody. You you find something that is meaningful, but it's out of all of this excess that. You, you distill it down to this thing that is most meaningful. Yes. Looks like we got some surprise questions here. What does uh, Podcast Sean have queued up for us? Uh, let's hear from Ben on Twitter. Ben said, what advice do you have for when you feel stuck in your career? When you aren't sure on what path to take or how to find your passion or purpose? Man. The problem I have with this question is it presupposes that you were born with a purpose as if you were born to be an astronaut or a nurse or a yoga instructor. <laughs> yeah. You weren't born to do anything, Ben, and that's actually good news.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if right now I told Ben like you were born to knit and let's say he get, you know, he starts to knit and he becomes an an awesome knitter. Mm-hmm. Like that he's going to want to move on to something else. Like we we have this intrinsic uh just feeling of of having to grow. So, like, when, when we get into a career, it's all fun at first. Like, I remember when I first got into telecom, it was awesome. Like, I loved the sales game. I loved learning about technology. I loved, you know, mastering that, that particular field. But, like, once you master something, you've got to move on to something else. And I, I think, like, that's where – well, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, Rosie, about finding, like, something outside of this one thing to kind of fill – that need for growth yeah
0: yeah i think that that right now if ben is is stuck quite often we feel stuck when we feel isolated um it's weird you lived in new york but it can be one of the most isolating places on on planet earth in a way where you have uh because there's so many people there and and being alone and being lonely are two different things uh i i found that with me if i'm feeling like totally isolated or if i feel stuck the way to get out is to to engage whether that's engage with other people engage with with a writing, engage in something and and that for me is often a cure to the to the stuckness Mm. because i'm curing uh i'm curing the isolation which was which was the real problem for me have you experienced that at all any any feelings of isolation
3: yeah, I mean, actually, I probably felt the city I have probably felt the least lonely in is New York. Okay, mm. And the reason is because like in New York, what's really wonderful, even, you know, at times when I lived alone and I actually love spending time alone. Mm-hmm. But um, what I love about it and what I really kind of missed about apartment living in New York is that even when I'm alone, I have comfort in like looking out my window and seeing like, the old Italian lady who like lived across the street from me in her window, like her kitchen window was facing my sort of apartment and I would see her in there and her like moo -moo, like cooking for her like entire family. And sometimes she would wave at me and I would wave back. And so like that always brought a lot of comfort to me even when I was having a day where I was, for instance, maybe just like uh, feeling lonely and wanting to hang out with somebody and like no one was around. It was always really nice to know that like I'm alone With a bunch of other people, because that is that's what New York is. Is like Mm -hmm. it's a bunch of people who are alone together.
1: It's funny because like Josh is a huge introvert, but he loves Los Angeles. Like loves loves the people, and like you can still be an introvert and be around a lot of people.
0: Yeah, we we lived in Montana for five years actually, and uh, we we first moved out there to write this book, and it was uh, we moved to this like cabin in the middle of nowhere it was like henry david thoreau but with cliche. wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh we did that but we found ourselves sort of gravitating toward the big city there missoula i don't know if you ever toured 60 no, i've actually people. always
3: wanted to go to montana it's on my list i oh, haven't been yet awesome.
0: it's yeah. truly gorgeous but i did not find a community that really that i, I fit in with there mm-hmm. and so after five years i mean thankfully i i, I met my wife there and i've we, we I met a bunch of really great people, but I just didn't find like there was not this community for me there. It's like my people weren't there. I uh, didn't have the the energy that, that that I like but I and I'm generally not a fan of big cities. in fact, I think Los Angeles is the only big city that I like I, I like like medium sized cities. We grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and mm-hmm. it's just like rust a rust belt city um very blue collar and, and that's what I resonate with but but in a place like Los Angeles, I feel like you just have a bunch of medium sized cities that are all just sort of crammed next to each other. Yeah. You were talking about um, I guess you were you were living out in, in Venice for a while, mm-hmm. but like and that's a city by itself. And yeah. you could put that in the middle of Nebraska and it'd be the biggest city in Nebraska probably, yeah. right? But here it's just next to the another big city, Santa Monica, mm-hmm. which is next to another big city in you know, Westwood or whatever. And mm-hmm. and you have all these cities and what I found for me is like it's finding the community that is appropriate has has enabled me to to be happier in in the place and yeah I spend even with the family I spend like eighty percent of my time alone but that that eighty percent of my time allows me to interact be a better version of myself when i'm with people the other twenty percent of the time. Are you an introvert or extrovert or um walk the line
3: there's a I'm an extroverted introvert.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So a socially confident introvert is... Yes. So
3: like I I love socializing and I do well when I'm like out with my friends Uh and then I hit a a wall and like often like if I excuse myself to go to the bathroom at a party, for instance, I'm probably just in there just so So, that I can take a break.
1: Taking a couple breaths. Yeah,
3: which is like something I really commonly do Mm -hmm. um also because i don't really drink a lot so like when i'm out at parties with my friends and everyone's like drinking it's i i just like often am not on the same level as them Mm -hmm. so sometimes i need to like step away (laughs) from that situation because i feel i'm feeling socially awkward because i'm not socially lubricated the (laughs) same way that they are you know (laughs) um but then like yeah i just hit a wall and then once i hit that wall i need to go home and And I feel like so exhausted. And once I'm by myself for like several hours, I feel completely recharged. So Mm. I think I'm like in the middle of that.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Uh, Introversion is basically like you get drained by other people, but it doesn't mean you can't be socially competent. In fact, Uh, it, most of the most most of the socially incompetent people that I know are extroverts, and they they just like I have to be around you all, and they can't like have the distance or whatever. Thankfully, Ryan is an extreme extrovert, but he's also sh- socially competent, so <laughs> I think that's why our. Our, our relationship—he knows when to leave me alone, yeah. and when I go off to go to the bathroom, I usually just leave, and I just don't tell anyone. Yeah, yeah. The Irish could
1: <laughs> <laughs> I could see it in his eyes too when it's happening. I'm like, "You're about to leave, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like,
0: "Stop in my exit."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we got another question here from Kelly in Mount Pleasant, Michigan.
3: I want to go experience the world and stuff, but I've always had a job and. I can't think of not having one, so I guess my question is how do I or how have you guys gotten into the mentality of it's okay to not have a full-time job and it's okay to not have like an overabundance of money all the time. I guess that's what I'm struggling with is is saying (laughs) I don't really want to be here all the time to my boss. How do I get in the mentality that that's okay?
0: Well, the bad news is, Kelly, I I don't know what it's like to not have a job. I've had a job since I was 13 years old. Yeah. Uh, it's just I don't look at it as a job anymore. And maybe uh, sometimes I think the language we use around what we do can also just sort of determine how we feel about the thing. When we call something a job, it's like, yeah, I kind of have to do this. I have to show up, right? When we call something our career, I think that's the most dangerous of all because then it feels like we're stuck in it, like. Well, and that that was me when I climbed the corporate ladder. Uh, yeah. I was the youngest director in our company's 140-year history.
1: I remember when he got offered that director job. Like he he didn't want it. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, don't take it." He's like, "If I do that, that's career suicide." Yeah. There's no way I could not take this job. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: And 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 going through that, I I realized a lot of my identity was tied up in my career. I had an mm. impressive job title, right? And she also said that she doesn't know what it's like to not have an abundance of money. Well, uh, 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 Good for you if you have an abundance of money. I don't know what it's like to have an abundance of money. I mean, the
1: first year we went on tour, man.
0: It's not because we had an abundance of money. No, we were in Ryan's Toyota Corolla, 2004 Toyota Corolla, sleeping at rest stops and on readers' floors. Yeah and we made like
1: 20 something thousand dollars that year yeah
0: yeah yeah. and and realizing like oh like money is part of the equation sure and we do ourselves a disservice if we say well what if money wasn't an object well it is it's part of the equation the problem with the the sort of career thing is money is the is the number one thing in the equation everything else is like Mm -hmm. distant second third fourth whatever in fact it's so far behind that we don't even think about those things because money is so important Mm mm-hmm rosa you have a you have a job you have a a career or maybe it's just become your your mission or the thing you're passionate about but also you have experienced the world growing up you experienced different places can you talk a little bit about the experience and how that maybe uh how did that lend itself to you becoming a musician or or a creative person
3: um well when i moved here i was a kid so uh but one one thing I didn't really know was how people got into the television, you know? Like, I always, I, I thought like, you know, living in Israel, I I was a fan of television, This the amount, the small amount I had seen. And I, I already, like I was dancing at the time, I was a dancer, uh-huh. um, I did like ballet and stuff, but I didn't know how you got into the TV. And then uh, when my mom got remarried to my stepdad, we moved to Los Angeles, and my stepdad worked at Universal Studios. Oh. Yeah, so he was he was a sound engineer there, and he took me, I think it was like the first time I ever went to like a back lot was uh, to that. Do you remember that show, Charles in Charge? Oh, yeah. yeah. Charles in Charge yeah. of me. Anyway. Yeah, yeah that one. <laughs> that one. Um, and I went there behind the scenes, and I got to meet everyone, oh, and they gave cool. me like the headshot, and everyone signed it. And I think that like kind of like sparked the beginning of like being like, oh, wait, you can do this, you know? And so when mm-hmm. I was a kid, I wanted to be an actor until I realized that, if i was doing that i was like speaking someone else's words and that led me to realizing that i wanted to write my own words and then eventually that turned into music which Mm -hmm. was cool um that's
0: a fascinating point because the thing that we think we're passionate about sometimes or the thing we're passionate about is is adjacent to the thing we become passionate about for me i wrote fiction throughout my 20s and it wasn't until like i started simplify my life after those tragic events happened to me and ryan was like hey maybe we should like write about this like on a on a website or something and i'm like he's like you've written for a long time why don't you just like write this and i'm like okay i'll give it a shot and it was different but it was also achieving the same thing i wanted to communicate i wanted to express myself the same thing you wanted to do with with acting but you realized maybe there's actually a better way for me to do that
3: yeah because to to me i like couldn't a, I, I hated the auditioning process mm-hmm. I hated like going into a room reading lines and then being judged mm-hmm. I mean who likes being judged right. but yeah. some people have thicker skin and at the time like I just didn't have that you know like I didn't and it's and it was because I didn't want it bad enough you mm-hmm. know and then I realized it was also because it just didn't feel authentic to me because I wasn't like always relating to the words on the page yeah. well, so
0: the best actors are, are usually like sociopaths, right? <laughs> <I'm a> sociopath, <laughs> and,
3: so. and but listen, like I think acting is amazing. Like I love movies and, and I've been lucky enough to have songs in films now. And so like now I get to like write songs for specific scenes sometimes. And that's really awesome. Right. So in a way that kind of came back around, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, like Christian Bale is probably a total sociopath, but he's an amazing actor, <laughs> amazing right? Actor. And, and maybe it requires that uh, to, because the, the rejection process is 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 weird but like the submission process even that word submit i submit Mm. to you here is my proposal or whatever um that that for me if you are going going to go through a process like that it better be the thing that you actually want to do
3: yeah and at least like with your own music it's not like you have to wait for somebody to tell you to release it you know right now But even like when I put my first record out, I put it out independently. And at first I was like trying to go to record labels and audition for them Mm -hmm. in a sense where you like go and you showcase. And then my manager and I were like, no, like we already have the songs we love. And like none of what they're doing is in line with what we wanna do. And like, it wasn't in line with like, like they wanted me to like, dress a certain way or whatever and Mm. that never felt right Mm. which I was so grateful that I had that like gut instinct of just being like no I don't want to do that that doesn't feel like it's in line with like what I'm I'm playing you know and so we just decided to take this like insane risk of going independent which at the time was not like the norm you know
0: this is is, uh, the mid-oddies so like (laughs) 2006 (laughs) 2007 yeah so
3: my first record came out in 2008
0: okay yeah yeah Yeah. And, and and I didn't realize you you went the independent route, but back then that was, that was pretty rare. It was, we were on the cusp of everything changing. I mean, CDs were already dying at that point. Yeah. Nothing like they have today. No, they
3: were, they were still like, okay, but it was, it was moving in that direction. Yeah.
0: And it was pre-streaming. So you could still earn unit sales, even on, you know, digital downloads and and things like that. Yeah. Um, how have you how have you navigated that I mean obviously you, you've talked about you've written songs for for movies and, and other things but how have you navigated the the changing landscape because I know it's both terrifying and exciting at the same time
3: yeah I'm still navigating it honestly like every time uh, like Collecting Bullets, even at this point, I think I released it in in full a year, a little over a year ago, and now I'm working on my next record. And pretty much every time you turn around, the industry has changed. Uh So there's no answer to that because like, I don't know if you saw this, but like recently, you know, like uh, we are now, songwriters are, they appealed and are turning around and suing to to pay us less than Mm -hmm. like what, because, it was like Amazon and and, uh, and Spotify and all that. Um, mm-hmm. They don't want to pay the songwriters more. And so the numbers just came out where it was like, have in order for a songwriter, just a songwriter, not like a performer, but if you're if you have written thirty three percent of a song, in order for you to earn just under seven thousand dollars a song has to be streamed a hundred million times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those are the actual numbers. Oh my God.
0: Uh, I mean it's, it's unbelievable it's yeah. truly unbelievable like we have a really popular podcast i don't know how but um uh, a, a a really popular month will be three million downloads okay. for us imagine right imagine
3: you have to get to like i and i don't know what that pays oh, it doesn't no pay pod- us
0: anything we don't do advertisements so right.
3: okay <laughs> so but i mean the streams you uh-huh. you probably get paid on streams on spotify no, no. no. podcasts really?
0: don't get paid anything for no streams. no way yeah, 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 yeah see
3: is, that's not cool either i know it's
0: right. the, um and and i think because people were appealing and we're, we're all trying to figure it out. And the record labels own a good chunk of these streaming services. They
3: had the best year they've ever had last Isn't year. Isn't that
0: amazing? Wow.
1: And it'll just be better this year too.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. until, until moving. it won't. Right? right. And so, so think about this. So blockbuster video was, Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the, so when Netflix came around, Netflix model was sending you DVDs in the mail. So they, but yeah. their big, the, the big change in the model was, hey, we're not gonna charge late fees anymore. And so Blockbuster had a meeting about this, and they're like, well, this is gonna kill us long term. What should we do? And they're like, we can't do anything because we make almost a billion dollars a year from late fees, Mm. $800 million a year Blockbuster alone, just Blockbuster (laughs) made from late fees. And so they said, well, we can't change that. Wow well if you don't change you end up going the route of blockbuster
1: yeah uh, there's literally be. only one left in the
0: entire world is it in alaska or oregon i don't know where it's at wait is there really <laughs> yeah, only there's
3: one, left? one
0: blockbuster left yeah, yeah. They're, they're allowed to is use it a
3: museum
1: or <laughs> 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 i mean it might as well people be people <laughs> do take pilgrimages <laughs> to go there because
0: yeah. i don't yeah. even
3: know anyone who has a dvd player at right? this point, right right so. yeah
0: well and, and that's the thing like we're here on hollywood boulevard and you walk down hollywood the wrong time of day and everyone's trying to sell you their cds and it's like okay, say I buy this off you because I really want to support you know, people I respect the hustle. Yeah, mm-hmm. what the hell am I gonna do with this? <laughs> I do- didn't
3: even print CDs the, for collecting bullets. Really? Oh, that's no, awesome. it uh, was so a completely live digital shows? release, so okay. I was essentially making this record and saying here have it for free You're right to everybody because yeah. like the streams don't add up to what you spend making the record absolutely yeah, and yeah. So that,
0: that's why it's terrifying the exciting part for me is we're able to bypass the the sort of gatekeepers in a way where like that process you said well sorry rosie we want you to wear this dress mm-hmm. and we need you to well sing the songs this way and it's executives in suits who don't make music telling you how to make music. Mm. Some of them may have an ear for it, for sure. But but sometimes people just need to justify their jobs, especially especially within a bureaucracy. What value am I bringing to the table? Why well, better change something? Yeah. And and also, it may be true that okay, if you if you do this, then you'll sell fifteen percent more albums. But you're not going to be happy with the album now is it worth sacrificing your integrity, your your creativity, your desire to make something meaningful to you know, increase sales for a corporation by 15%? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's quite the dilemma. But the thing that's exciting for me uh, is when Ryan and I first started publishing, we, we went to different publishers and stuff. And had some advance offers, but things that just didn't make sense. And I'm like, well, why would we do that? And so we started our own publishing company back in, in twenty twelve and we've actually published books for five other authors as well. And we realized, well, we could just take their template, like, and take it through the same process. And you did this with your albums. You can't tell whether or not it's a indie release or a a um, major label release. There's a difference between Garage Band and and, and indie. Yes. But indie whether it's indie publishing or or indie records, is you're you're taking the same process. You have producers, you have oversight, yeah. you have you have the but you also have the creative control that a garage band has. Yeah, and it's it's sort of marrying the two where. Yeah, Garage Band isn't isn't putting out anything that unless you're what the Grateful Dead.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> but even what they did, like they allowed you to record their music for free and distribute it for free. Like that's that's how they got so big.
0: They, they were the original Spotify. Yes. Yeah. With cassette tapes. Yeah. yeah. But they were able to take advantage of it, and I think a lot of artists now are able to build an audience, and sadly aren't making money from the music. And I think artists should make money from their music. Mm-hmm. Um. I think podcasters should make money from their streams, even yeah. if they don't do advertisements.
1: Is the micro penny still a thing in the streaming world? I remember, remember the micro penny. Yeah,
0: that's what she's talking oh, about. Oh, that, that—that is what the micro penny is. Okay. Yeah, Same yeah, is okay. where you're you're making. You know, what is it? One one. Yeah, yeah. It's like thousand. point
3: zero 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 four three of a cent, cent or something. Like it's so stream, yeah. it's so crazy. Yeah. Nice. yeah.
0: I think maybe the the lesson here then is because you obviously don't do this for money. Yeah. It, it's it, it's. But you also want to make money off of doing the thing that you do. I think the lesson is if you can do something else, then do something else. But Mm. if you can't do something else, meaning like I feel compelled enough that even though I know that I'm not going to make anything from streaming, I still feel compelled to make this album and put it out there. Yeah. That's a good reason to make the yeah, album do it
1: because you love it not like it's 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 creation first not money first yeah totally and
3: for the person who was asking the question also um you know when she was talking about like wanting to travel that's probably one of the things I'm like the most passionate about when it comes to getting stuck
0: mm. and I know
3: that not everybody can do this but the one thing I always say over and over again, it's one of the reasons I've probably moved so much is that forward motion is always the thing that unsticks me. Mm. So like, it it is literally as simple as going for a walk. That's like forward motion. Mm. If I'm like in a writing session and I just feel like I'm so stuck on this line, nothing has ever fixed it quicker than being like, I'm gonna go for a walk and then I'm gonna come back because when you walk, your mind starts, you know, moving. Um, Or like getting on a train or, you know, going on a trip. And I know that like going on trips is not something everyone can afford to do. So there's obviously other ways to travel, Mm -hmm. whether it's like through reading a book or, you know, whatever it is. But, um, but I don't know, like, I think if I had a job, but I also wanted to travel um, and like, I I would probably ask myself, like, do I love this job enough like to Like would I take the risk, if can I financially take the risk to take a break and would I be willing to like walk away from it so that I can come back? If you've never traveled, you know, like if that's something you've always wanted to do because the perspective that you gain from going to other places is so major. Like even just in um, like in regards to all of this, like living in France with balance, for instance, they are so amazing at balancing work and life. Yeah. You know, like when everyone is done with work and you meet up for drinks and stuff, nobody talks about their jobs. And no one has their cell phones out at the table. Uh And so you like sit down, and this was like the biggest lesson in slow living for me, like living there, is just like, you sit down at like five or six o'clock and nobody, by the way, understood what I do for a living, so I never had to talk about music, which was actually such a nice break for me uh-huh. but I, they also never wanted to talk about what they were doing at work because that was then and this is now and you like enjoy your life in that moment they you can like,
1: leave work at work yeah, yeah but i
3: don't think i could have taken that knowledge back with me and implied it to my own life if i hadn't gone and like experienced it mm-hmm. for myself
0: yeah i think about the most empowering conversations that i have or most compelling conversation i have we leave all that stuff at the door including the cell phones mm-hmm. but like the Here's what I did at work today, and and uh, how's the weather? You know the sort of niceties of of everyday tetes But you, my most, the conversations that are most memorable to me are almost like these sort of philosophical se- sessions, in a way, where like I've I've left aside the the drudgery of, of, Oh yeah, I'm working on this book. It's not going so well right now. Or, or yeah, we did a really good podcast with Rosie today. Like I, I can talk about those things, but like when we really get into, there's almost like this dance of conversation. It sounds to me like that's kind of what you're talking about. And the only way you make room for that dance is if you're able to not be distracted by the the cell phone or the busyness of the day and the sort of Americanized version of, uh, get things done, busy, 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 go, go, go 80 hour work week sort of yeah. thing.
1: One thing that stands out with Kelly, she says that she can't talk to her boss about like, I don't want to be here as much. Mm. And like, that's, that's not really true. I mean, if Kelly's doing an awesome job at her work, like if she's truly adding value to the library, like you can ask for whatever you want yeah. and your boss is not going to, if they fire you, that's because they're looking for a reason to fire you. Um, I, I think about, you know, a couple things, uh, Mariah, my wife, she worked at this job. She was the best accounts receivable or accounts payable, you know, whatever whatever department she was in. Like she was the best employee in that department. And she wanted to travel. And we we were planning to travel for a month and she's like she went to her boss and she's like, "You know, I got to I have to quit because, you know, you only allow us to take, you know, 2 weeks a year. I need a month and, you know, you can't even give me a month off." They were like trying to change the policy for Mariah because she was adding so much value to her department. She ended up quitting anyway. Cause it was, it was a toxic job. But my point is, is like Kelly, don't sell yourself short. Like if you want to do something outside the box, if you're doing an awesome job at the library, go talk to your boss about it. The worst they can tell you is no, Yeah. but I, I agree with you too. Like she's got to really get clear on is this job that that much valuable for her or adds that much value for her. Meaning if she wants to be a full-time traveler, like she can't be a full-time librarian either. Yeah. Like she has to choose like what truly is going to add the most value. Um,
0: Guess what? There are other libraries out there too. If you really absolutely. decide you want to yeah. walk away from this yeah. one, this yeah. isn't the only library that's going to hire you. Yeah.
1: But, but yeah, t- go take a trip. See if you like it. And if it's something that keeps drawing you back, Kelly, then yeah, you, you might have to find a
0: different role or find something else that allows you to travel more. Yes, indeed, Rosie. I want to thank you for joining us today. You're Thanks awesome for having I'm me. I'm mm-hmm. really Which grateful. Was so fun. You were uh, you're definitely one of my favorite musicians. I've I think I've seen you live twice. Ah, thank w- you. once in Cincinnati. Okay, were you with um, maybe Fitzsimmons?
2: Yep, that could be.
0: Yeah, or a couple times together. That's so, Fitz. Um,
1: he's like the. We're we sp- quiet, quiet sad. Yeah, we've seen him <laughs> once, right? You're so much happier than Fitzsimmons.
3: <laughs> Whisper Rock, uh, we call it. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. That's great. Whisper Rock, yeah. yeah. But yeah. he's so... Actually, William is so funny on stage. So, like, in between his, like, super beautiful... Sad and like deep songs. He's one of the funniest performers. Totally. Because I think that you need that like sunshine with the rain, you know, yeah. in between. So, yeah, <laughs>
0: but he, he brings a levity to it. It's like he does, he does little like. 30 second podcast in between songs mm-hmm. of him just being funny or just like yes. little, little stand up s- sets in yes. between songs. I think yes. we saw him in Dayton. He was like, he came out. He's like, Are you all ready to be sad?
3: Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so self deprecating, but like in such a funny way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I know Ryan agrees with me. I think you're doing something meaningful with, with your work.
3: Thank you. You guys too. Thank I, mean, yes. I, I learned so much. I really I want to read that um, article that you were quoting.
0: Well, I'll, I'll be happy to send you one, uh, send it to you, or just give you this one but uh, let's play them out with a song today from Collecting Bullets. I was thinking either Let Go or Underneath but I'll let you pick whatever song you want from Collecting Bullets.
3: Um, yeah, Underneath is good.
0: Alright, let's do that. Alright cool. y'all, love people, use things. Here is Underneath from Rosie Golan's album Collecting Bullets. We'll see you next time. See you later. Give me
3: me.